Hi, my name is Taeyang Chung. Uh, let's talk to God first. Heavenly Father, help us be humble in speaking of your word and also in listening to your word. Please touch our hearts and transform our hearts. In your precious name, amen. Phew, what a week it has been. Exams at school, big changes at work, two wet weeks in the school holidays, crazy children, stressed up moms, scrambling to pay the bills. How do you cope with stress and anxiety? Many of you have been flat out, earning an income, caring for your family, studying for a degree, and serving the church. We are all so busy and anxious. Do you regularly feel one out, <clears throat> anxious about your abilities, and caught in cycles of competition and perfectionism? It's not just your story. It's not just a personal phenomenon. Here is something worth considering. In 2010, as a Korean-born German philosopher, Byung-chul Han, pointed out in his book, The Burnout Society. The stress and exhaustion are not just personal experiences, but social and historical phenomenon as well. Our modern Western society has become an achievement society. But as you may have experienced, our most recent achievement doesn't last very long. That success is valid for only a short time. Then we need to reach yet another goal, and so our need to strive and do better continues almost unabated. That pushes us to live as stressed winners. People are driven by endless accomplishments without true rest. It's like a never-ending game. At the same time, our culture teaches us that we should value each of those achievements and our right to take full credit for each win. We are encouraged to take pride in ourselves, and thus we become convinced that we are stronger and more capable than we actually are. Our pride whispers in our ear that we can do everything. Then we are stressed out. Now you see where our tension comes from. There is a relationship between pride and stress. As Hannah Anderson, a Christian writer and also a minister's wife in America, reminds us, when we trust our ability to care for ourselves, we will have nothing but stress. 
because we are unequal to the task. It is nothing other than pride and self-reliance that keeps us from experiencing rest. Whether you are conscious of it or not, our pride is the source of our unrest. In contrast, the Bible says in three words, you are not God. Pride is counter to the understanding that we are not God. You are not God. I am not God. None of us are God. But how often and how easily we forget this? How often do we try to live beyond normal human limits? How often do we try to do it all, to know it all, and to be it all? And how often do we end up stressed, anxious, and overwhelmed because of it? And today, I'm going to explore in a topical sermon how humility frees us from the cycle of stress performance, and competition, and examine with you how we can find rest for our souls through a humble heart, through acknowledging our dependence on God. The basic idea is that God is God and we are not. As 19th century pastor Andrew Murray writes in his classic book, Humility, humility is simply acknowledging the truth of our position as a creature and yielding to God his place. We will look at how Jesus transforms us in his humility. It's about our humble roots. That's where we are heading. Before we get to the passage of Micah, Let me give you some background of the book of Micah. In the last half of the 8th century BC, Micah brought God's message to the people of the south. While Amos, we just finished the book of Amos, preached in the north. It was a period of turmoil, strife, stress, and anxiety as their enemy Assyria was moving rapidly towards Judea after destroying Israel. The prophet Micah starts with a question about approaching God in verse 6. In other words, he is asking this question. What does it mean for Israel to be in covenant with God? The Israelites wanted to bring things to God, thinking that God was interested in the size or the cost of their gifts. Let's have a look in a bit more detail. Have a look at verse 6b and 7. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? Here, we can see an irony. God's people 
are blinded to his goodness and character. They seek to establish the prize that will win God's favor by raising the bid ever higher. Calves a year old, thousands of rams getting expensive, 10,000 rivers of oil, while the highest price of all, the cruel sacrifice of a child. These huge offerings are not the good that God requires. God is more interested in each individual than in any gift they might bring. A person's character and behavior are what matter to God. And the good God wanted was different. Micah summarizes the message of prophets in the 8th century BC with three short phrases telling what God requires. Come with me to Micah 6, 8. He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. I think the point he's making is pretty obvious. To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. The first two phrases to do justice and to love kindness are related to our relationship with others. Justice is something that is done, not merely wished or hoped for, especially for the weak and powerless. We can't serve or obey God apart from concern for other people shown by merciful actions. And the third praise to walk humbly with your God, is related to our relationship with God. God wants his people to walk with him, careful to put him first, and live lives that are dependent on him. Israel's life in fellowship with God is described as walking with him, a humble walk with God. Micah highlights that the lives of God's people need to be deeply rooted in humility in their relationship with God. That same message is found all the way through the Bible. That's what I want to explore more today. What's really interesting is that when you look at Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30, you can see the ultimate example of the humble humanity God requires. Jesus presents himself as a savior who is gentle and lowly in heart and who offers rest for our souls. We can see that the better antidote for stress, anxiety, and being overwhelmed is humility. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight, 28, Jesus invites tired, weary people like us to come to him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. 
he makes this promise. Then he continues in a most unexpected way. Come with me, verses 2, 29 and 30. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. As you probably noticed, peace doesn't start with me. Peace starts with Jesus. My brothers and sisters in Christ, let me repeat this. Peace doesn't start with me. Peace starts with Jesus. Even more surprisingly, peace starts with learning his humility. That's what I want to show you today. There are two ideas that we need to ponder. The first idea is exchange. Jesus isn't calling us to shoulder an extra burden. He is calling us to exchange an impossibly heavy burden for a light one. He is calling us to take his yoke because it is easier and lighter than the one we are presently carrying. What caused Jesus' hearers to be heavy laden in the first place? What, what was the reason for their stress and anxiety? Jesus condemns the religious readers for weighing the people down with man-made laws and hypocritical judgments. Have a look at Luke eleven forty six. Jesus replied, And you experts in the law owe to you, because you load people down with burdens they, ca- they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. And Matthew 23, 2 to 4. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must obey them and do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. They are unjust and unkind masters. In contrast, Jesus promises to be a gentle and humble master. The second idea is authority. If you are from an agrarian society, you would have understood the metaphor. The yoke is a symbol of authority. The word yoke would have conjured up a picture of a farmer using an ox or a donkey to prepare his field for planting. By calling us to take his yoke, Jesus is calling us to submit to him as our true master. 
But this can only happen when we learn of him, when we are humbled as he is humble. We need to learn humility. However, our world is hostile to humility because humility is often confused with weakness. The word, the world, scorns such an attitude. It sees the humble person as a doormat, someone who stands by quietly while others step all of them. And notice this too. Part of the problem is that we misunderstand the nature of both pride and humility. We tend to think of pride as something we can conquer and of humility as something we can attain. Is that true? If we are honest, we admit that pride corrupts our attempts at humility. Humility is not simply a disposition or set of phrases. Jesus is not calling us to adapt humble posturing or master a new ethical skill. Humility is not a commodity. It's not something you can achieve. It's not something you earn or accomplish. Being humble is something we either are or we aren't. If we are humble people, it will be obvious. But if we are proud people, this will be abundantly obvious as well. That's why it's not easy to root ourselves in humility. The trouble is that it is our very pride that keeps us from being healed of our pride. We have to reject the pride that believes in humility as a concept but refuses to actually be humbled before God. So before we can even begin to answer his call to come to him, Jesus humbles himself because we could never sufficiently humble ourselves Jesus humbles himself. And by doing so, he became both the model and the means of our own humility. He gives us our new identity in an act of mercy. Through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus shows us our true identity as people dependent on God for life. He imparts this humble life to us once again. Then his Holy Spirit makes it a living reality of a lifetime. However, some of you may still judge your value by the standards of the world. You may consciously or unconsciously make a tally of your achievements or failures, or measure the approval of others or their rejection. 
Well, likewise, take note of your own feeling of self-extreme or self-hatred. For example, you may feel and think you are not worthy because you are from broken family. Your academic record is not good enough. You have a disability or cancer and so on. These things about you aren't your true identity. Remember, when you came to learn his humility, God has made you someone far greater than the sum of your accomplishments and failures. Rest in the joy that your identity is found in Christ through his humility. In fact, humility teaches us to be less concerned with knowing the answers and more concerned with learning the answers. Humility is knowing where we came from and who we are. Humility is understanding that without God, without his care, without his provision, without his love, we are nothing. In addition, when Jesus calls us to learn his own humility, he intends to fundamentally change us to get to the root of a problem we have. If we are to have any hope of escaping our pride, we have to become part of him in order to reflect him who is humanity himself, humility himself. As a person destined to reflect God, a humble attitude will help us think about ourselves as a person dependent on God to do just that. Our destiny is to be a reflection of God and a humble attitude which recognizes our dependence on God will help us do that. Humility leads us to see the extent of our pride in our everyday choices. For example, from how we use social media to how we give and receive compliments, from how we judge our friends and family for rarely meeting our expectations, to how we encourage them. From how we justify our short tempers and agitation because we are under stress, to how we end up treating those around us. More than simply pointing out where where we fail, humility also provides a way forward to the rest we long for. Friends, Jesus clearly knows the pressures and frustrations of our lives. He invites us to come to him and learn from him so that we too may have rest for our souls. But we may want to create our own rest. When we are stressed out, we may say, oh, that's why we need rest, that's why we need a break. When we are tired, 
we trust that a vacation or a caving out me time will reduce our stress. It could be potentially helpful, but it never resolves the root issue, which is pride. Without cultivating humility, we will return to our stress once the bags are unpacked. If you are feeling burdened and heavy laden, let me encourage you to ask yourself whether you are as humbly submitted to Jesus as you believe yourself to be. At a practical level, we also need to be careful concerning false modesty. A humble break is a statement that initially sounds humble because it uses certain words like humble, but ultimately it draws attention back to the person making it. Uh, we can see a clear example in Luke 18, verse 11. The Pharisees stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. It can be translated like this. I am better than other people. So here is the key. We need to understand how pride manifests itself in anxiety and restlessness and how humility frees us from the cycle of stress, performance, and competition. We need to share how pride makes us anxious and how death to self and life in Christ produce the fruit of humility in our lives. If you want to delve into this more, let me encourage you to talk to fellow Christians. Share in your growth group. I'd recommend this book, Humble Roots by Hannah Anderson. It's very helpful in understanding humanity in terms of theological reflection. I owe her a great depth for help with this sermon. Let's wrap up. What does it mean to trust Jesus for rest? He frees us from our burdens in the most unexpected way. He frees us by calling us to rely less on ourselves and more on him. He frees us by calling us to humility. The truth is that the rest that Jesus offers only comes when we humble ourselves and submit to him. Jesus shows what humility really is and what it looks like in everyday life. That's why Matthew doesn't want to try to teach us to be humble, but instead point us to Jesus who humbled himself unto death. Friends, how would you like to respond his call? Let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, we bring you our stress and anxiety. In our restlessness, grant us grace to be still and to know you are God. Lord Jesus, there is so much we need to learn from you. Help us to walk humbly beside you, to listen to your teaching, and to enjoy the rest that only you can give. In Jesus' powerful name, amen.